and I kind of want to draw your attention to them before we go into what I'd planned to say. We sang, Here I Raise My Ebenezer, and you'll find that story in 1 Samuel chapter 7. The Israelites are under threat. They're fearful for their lives. And they go to the prophet Samuel and they say, pray for us, help us. And Samuel prays and seeks God and the Philistines are wiped out. And Samuel then goes and takes a stone and puts it in the ground and says, this is Ebenezer. This is the place, how far we have come where the Lord has helped us. And I was thinking about that as we sang it. And I wonder, you know, are there people in this room today and you need to stop and you need to raise your Ebenezer? You need to look at your past in the light of your presence and in the hope of the future and say, thus far the Lord has helped me. But more than that, we sang in that beautiful American accent, was just glorious, of um, you were my past and my future. And I wonder, are there some of us who are looking at our future in the light of our past? And that is not what the Lord has for us. There are new, we're going to be speaking of the theology of the new world that is coming. And I invite you this morning to look over the course of your life, to look at the chapters that have already been written, to honor and thank the Lord for where he has had you, but to not be bound by that, to think of the future and what is ahead. So that is where I hope we will go today. This passage also speaks about healing. Yes, Jesus did a physical healing, but he talks about the greater healing of justice and mercy in the world. And we've talked about beautiful opportunities that this community already take to bring justice and mercy to the world. Annika, we serve them, those beautiful women who have come to this country as refugees. Those who are disadvantaged. Those who have no food and no fruit. Those who might not get toys this Christmas. We have so many opportunities to work towards the new world. And we should be grabbing those as individuals in the community. And I hope you'll dig into that. Okay, none of that. So, what I'm actually going to talk about this morning is John chapter 5, the healing at the pool on the Sabbath day. I want to begin with this quote from Tim Keller's beautiful book, The Reason for God, because it sets the scene, I believe. We modern people think of miracles as a suspension of the natural order, but Jesus meant them to be the restoration of the natural order. The Bible tells us that God did not originally make the world to have disease, hunger, and death in it. Jesus has come to redeem what is wrong and heal the world where it is broken. His miracles are not just proof of his power, but they are wonderful foretastes of what he is going to do and is doing with that power. Jesus' miracles are not just a challenge to our minds and our mindsets, but a promise to our hearts that the world that we all want and we all crave is coming. Amen. I believe that our challenge as friends of Jesus is to work towards that world that is to come, that we are to partner with the Lord and to bring justice and healing and mercy in its widest sense to the world. John's gospel tells us of seven signs, and this morning I'm going to speak to the third sign. This third sign was pointing people to who Jesus was. 
He was provoking the people. He was provoking the religious authorities by healing on the Sabbath. And so the, the, I want to speak to this passage. One-fifth of all of the material in the gospel relates to Jesus' healing of physical disease. And his ministry was to bring healing to body and to soul. These signs peppered throughout the gospel speak to the work of the Father, to work of the Son, and to our work as the followers of Jesus. And the sign that we're considering today was the healing of the paralytic man at Bethesda's pools. But this encounter was as much to do with a physical healing of this man as it was to do with challenging the religious leaders of the day, challenging the Pharisees, challenging the Jewish leaders who talked about what you could do on the Sabbath. And so Jesus is challenging the religious authority and almost as a side issue, healed a man who had been paralyzed for 38 years. So let's read the passage. I guess you all don't have Bibles because of COVID, so maybe take out your phones and read along with me. I'm reading from the... ESV, and I'm reading John 5. I'm going to read us verse 1 to 18. This healing, I believe, was a prophetic act because it was a challenge to the religious authorities and their worldview. And this is Jesus overturning their authority and pointing them and us back to the Father, back to the Father who is always, always about the twin track of justice and mercy. Chapter 5. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of individual invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, sir, I've no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up and while I am going down, another steps before me. Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once, at once the man was healed and he took up his bed and walked Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, healed from 38 years. And what they got themselves bothered about was, it is the Sabbath. And it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, the man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. They asked him, who is this man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed didn't know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you're well. You're well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God.
I'm old school, I write things down, I know everybody else does it on a, a computer, but I'm just going to get rid of my sheets. So Bethesda is a, a place of mercy, a house of mercy, that's what the word actually means. It was a sheep gate and it was outside of the city. There was legends in Latin, and that's why if you notice, verse 4 is actually missing in the text. Because in the earliest of manuscripts, there was no mention of the legend that happened in this place. But there was a legendary belief. So in the Greek text, there wasn't there. And our English translations are based on the Greek text. So we have not got the bit about the fact that the water stirred and people believed. It was a superstitious legend that happened. But it's referenced when Jesus asked the man, do you want to be well? So it's not in the earliest of manuscripts and therefore it's not in our version. But what is interesting about those sheep gates and that pool of Bethesda, the house of mercy, is that in 1968, archaeologists found that there was also at those pools, there was a belief that, and I'm going to have to look at his name, because Asclepius. He was a god that was considered a saviour at that time because of his healing powers. And those of you who are medics or work in the field of medicine, the staff with the serpent round it is the sign of Asclepius, and that continues to be the sign of medicine to this day. So he was worshipped in the same place. So people who believed in him and believed in all the superstitions came to the place. So it was for Jews, for Gentiles, for those who did not believe, those who believed. They all came to the same place and they sought healing. Now, it's considered that there were mineral pools, so one can imagine that at times they did bubble up. <laughs> one can also imagine that if you had a skin disorder, you might have got into those pools and experienced a level of healing because mineral water is good for skin diseases. But here's a man who has been paralyzed for 38 years. And if the life expectancy in those days was 30 to 35 years, so this man we can suppose, was paralyzed from birth. And he's been lying there for 38 years as a beggar with no means of income, desperate to get in that pool, desperate for an encounter. This man would have been lonely. You can only imagine what his mental health might have been like after 38 years of lying as an outcast in his community. And Jesus comes to him Jesus sees him lying there. He knows he's been there a long time and he asks him, do you want to be healed? Now, I don't know if you've ever heard people talk on this passage. I have on many occasions. And they've used this literal interpretation of the question as a kind of psychological assessment of what actually happens when you get healed, that you have to want to. I don't know, has anyone ever heard that teaching? Get up off your mat and walk. It's just that simple. The devil wants you on the mat. You've got to get up. And when I line that up with the compassion and the kindness and the mercy of the Father, I find it punitive. I find it unhelpful to those who suffer with chronic illness. Healing and illness is a mystery. And I want to say to people who perhaps have lived under shame or guilt that they continue to be unwell, that somehow their faith is not enough or they haven't believed enough or they haven't done the right thing. That, I do not believe, is the heart of the Father. 
That, I do not believe, is what this passage is teaching us. In fact, this passage kicks out the idea that there's some link between your faith and your healing. Because Jesus asks this man, do you want to be healed? He doesn't even know who Jesus is. Because he goes, oh, well, sure, I can't get in the water. Nobody helps me down. Someone gets in before me. Jesus speaks to him, and instantly he is healed. So for those of you, and I have heard many people, including in my own life in periods of unwellness, asking me, do I actually want to be healed or do I believe I can be healed? And I've found it a challenge. I remember at one period in my life thinking, please don't offer to pray for my healing again because when I'm not healed, then you feel guilty and I feel guilty and it's all very uncomfortable, so can we just not do it anymore? <laughs> And I keep going back to those promises in the Old Testament. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. So here's this man. He's been sick for 38 years. The son of God comes and promises to heal him. And he doesn't even know who he is. And Jesus does it anyway. Jesus does it anyway. I find the book Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes really helpful particularly when we're trying to understand the culture and the context of the day and what the guy who wrote that book, whose name I can't remember, says that Jesus may well have been asking this man, as he did in Luke when he spoke to the blind beggar, what is it that you want me to do? Do you want to be healed? Because what he's actually saying is in that culture, if you were, not, if you were unwell, people gave you money. So if this man instantly was healed, his life would have to change. He would have to start finding a way to support himself, to look after himself. And this to me is maybe the graciousness of God, knowing that man, knowing his story and knowing what was around. And there's something in that about those of us who want to look at passages of in the Bible. We need to think about the culture and the context and what was actually happening what was actually happening and what Jesus might have actually been speaking to. And I think that is an important thing when we're taking any passage of this beautiful scripture and these beautiful book. So, so this man had no knowledge of who Jesus was. He wasn't seeking his healing. He wasn't asking for it. And yet it happened. And I wonder, thinking back to that idea that I touched on at the beginning, I wonder how many of us carry things or live with things and we have lost the capacity to think that anything might change, that anything might be different. We might be looking at our future in light of the past and perhaps this story invites us to rethink that. Come, get up, take up your bed and walk. Now that day was the Sabbath. So here are the Jews, the religious teachers of the day. They meet this man. He hasn't walked for 38 years but <laughs> they're getting themselves, you've broken the law. So the law back in Jeremiah said that you weren't to carry a load on the Sabbath day, that that was work. Jesus isn't challenging that law, but he is challenging the further interpretations of it. Because for them, they were adding another rule that said actually carrying a mat could be considered work and you've started to do that and that is wrong. 
And I started to think about those Jewish leaders this week and think about the fact that they met this man who's walking for the first time in 38 years and all they are getting themselves upset about were the rules that he was breaking. They didn't think, who have you just encountered? What is the Spirit doing? Who have you just met? How come you are well? And I wondered, I, I went down a slightly judgmental route and then I thought, I wonder in my life, I wonder in our lives, how many times do we miss what the Spirit is doing? Do we miss the encounters of Jesus because we're so obsessed with the rules and the regulations? We've added so many things to all that we're supposed to believe in. And maybe we're missing what the Lord is doing. And so in these days, my heart is that we follow the wind of the Spirit. We find where Jesus is at work. We find the encounters where people are meeting him. And we seek more. We seek more. The Jewish leaders had added interpretations, rules, oppression. And they looked at the mat as if it was a load. The other thing that Jesus got wrong and provoked them on was that they considered that healing was a work of creation and therefore you only did it for six days of the week and on the seventh day of the week you rested. And again, Jesus is saying to them, in a sense, I am the new Sabbath. Healing, recovery, bringing wellness and wholeness, that is the work of the Father and the work of the Father is the work of the Son. And the work of the Son is also the work of us as the followers of Jesus. So he is the new Sabbath, and he is saying to the religious leaders, you have made the Sabbath oppressive, you've made it petty, and you've made it legalistic. I am forming the new Sabbath. There is a new wor world order coming, and it will be about rest, and I will do the work of the Father, which is always, always about healing. Here is Jesus at as dramatic, as provocative, but also his compassion is the, almost the biggest thing we can look at in this thing. How is Jesus overturning the tables of rules and oppression and he's speaking of this new order? He is the Sabbath and he is showing us his love for justice and truth. And so this is why then the Jews continued to persecute him because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, my father is working until now and I am working. And in the aftermath of this exchange, they were even more determined to kill him because he was overturning and challenging everything that they believed in. And so I, I want us to think together now for a period of time. I'm not sure how long we take, but Dave will keep me right. Um, Here's Jesus caring for the poor, the sick, and the marginalized far more than he cares for how some people are interpreting God's law. And I, I think there's some questions up behind. I would like you to take some time in your groups and, and think through these two questions. So I find this really hard to do because I work as a therapist. So I ask you one question and dependent on your answer, I ask you another question. To write two blind questions is really, really difficult for me. So I want you to play with them, okay? But I want you to think through that idea. Are there views that you have held about healing that perhaps you could challenge by this Jesus encounter? And I want you to think deeper about that. Are there things that you have held on to and you think, actually, 
perhaps the future can look different. If I encounter Jesus, if I follow the work of the Spirit, is there something more for me? I like this question, if I say so myself. How do we as individuals and as a community of Jesus followers, how are we bringing healing and justice to the city? And how are we partnering with what Jesus is doing? I think we're doing some great stuff. I long to see more. And I would like us as groups to take time and pray into this challenge of bringing the healing, the restoration, and the justice of the Father to this community.